Welcome to The Money Show on this Tuesday night, a How It Works feature. How it works. How do you work? Are you working at all? I suppose should be the question this evening. Are you a manager and discovering for the very first time who actually adds value in the workplace? Are you suddenly going, I employ 10 people to do a job of work and in these direct contacts that I've now got with people via Zoom, because whenever I go past Johnny's table, he's always having a smoke break or is in another meeting. And now suddenly you have dedicated FaceTime with people and suddenly you're discovering who actually adds value and who doesn't and who's been shirking and who hasn't. And if you are somebody who works within a company and you've been wondering for years what your boss actually does, you now sit back and you say, hold on a second. Is this all that they do? Because suddenly every relationship seems more intrusive and intimate and a little bit more under scrutiny perhaps than ever before because remote working is changing absolutely everything that we thought we knew about work. Debbie Goodman-Byatt is a leadership strategist, the founder at Jack Hammer, executive headhunters at Jack Hammer. And before we talk about this particular topic this evening, Debbie, just give me a sense, please, on the recruitment business. Has that died a death or people still finding jobs and getting placed and getting poached and there's still movement or not? Always movement, Bruce, always movement. Um, the first couple of weeks, um, of, well, first of all, let me say that I sit with like one one leg on the continent of um, of North America. I live in Los Angeles and I've got oh. the other leg in South Africa. I work uh, the I work both uh, both continents at the moment. I'm here during COVID um, in the US. So I on, on purpose or did you just did, did you get stuck or did you go there on purpose? <laughs> That's a conversation for another time on purpose, uh, but uh, extended. I usually have been back and forth to South Africa okay. every couple of months. But anyway, so I see what's happening in the U.S. I see what's happening in South Africa. Um, recruitment as a whole is um, still alive and well. Um, obviously, there have been many, many layoffs in different sectors. Um, I'm sure you would have seen the U.S. jobs data that came out on Friday where it's actually gone down to 13.5% instead of 14% where it was in April um, and um, much less than what had been expected. Um, in South Africa, of course, also ongoing um, layoffs, but still the need to hire. Um, initially, uh, with COVID and lockdown, a lot of uncertainty. Everybody put uh, a hold on all kinds of decision-making, particularly recruitment. Bearing in mind that as an executive search firm, Jack Hammer really only sees the topmost critical roles that are always in need. You always need a CEO. You always need a CFO. You always need key critical leadership roles when, um, when people leave or decide to step out or are no longer effective. Those roles have to be filled. And so whilst things have gotten a little quieter, there's still a lot of activity um, a lot of companies are trying to use different strategies to recruit. I think there's an impression that the job market is so much more mobile now because everybody's looking for work, and that's just not the case. Um, what is happening is a lot of companies are advertising, but that's still not necessarily giving them access to the very best people in the market, which is where we come in. So thanks for that little opportunity to punt um, Executive Search and Jack Hammer. Thanks, Bruce. Well, that, well just, um, it's a curiosity rather than an opportunity to punt. I mean, it's your perspective versus my perspective. Um, but no, <laughs> the, the way... The way we're working, um, and while we're punting, I did a cover story for the Financial Mail last week about the now of work, not the future of work, because
because suddenly the future of work has been shifted forward two, four, five, ten years. Suddenly we've had the digital transformation that people have been talking about in companies accelerated from naught to 300 kilometers an hour in a matter of days um, in the last quarter. And it's just been this most astounding change in the way certainly white-collar workers do operate. Yeah, absolutely. Astounding. The technology has been available, but not very widely utilized. We'd still go and visit um, our clients uh, in order to develop relationships and um, grow our businesses. Um, We'd still insist on people being in the office, in our meeting rooms to take meetings, despite the inconvenience of the time of day at which those might happen. Um, And so even though the technology has been around for so long, the idea that personal face-to-face, in-person meetings and engagement were the only way to um, to conduct business has also been a prevalent view. Um, what we've had to do is we've been forced into shifting um, those ideas. And so now we've seen, even with companies who've allowed flexibility, have allowed some people to re- work remotely, we've seen how we that needed to be extended and expanded in a heartbeat. Um, even with my business, where I've had lots of people working remotely, um, there were still a few key roles that I believed were essential. They needed to happen in the office. Well, look at that. Nobody could be in the office and we all just survived and made it work. But hasn't it fundamentally changed your life for the better or not? I think it completely depends on your personal circumstances and situation. I, my heart goes out to every working mom with toddlers um, yeah. who has needed to manage Um, toddlers or preschoolers or early schoolers um, who are not yet self-managed together with work, together with not having any um, help or domestic support. Um, In fact, I read some data the other day around the most um, challenged uh, segment of of working professionals is, uh, is women with children between a certain age. The emotional and mental strain has been tremendous. So I think if you're in that category, the idea of being able to go back into an office to be able to work consistently with a, in a focused way, the, the desire for that must be tremendous right now. I think if your personal circumstances are that you've got physical great space, if your bandwidth is good, if you love the fact that you no longer need to sit in traffic to get into an office and you can be productive, and if you're a really structured person in the way that you work, I think this could be a, a godsend for many people. It's very situation dependent. But it certainly is, and it's suddenly also become the hugest challenge in the history of management because as far as I know, not having done an MBA, but the MBAs don't teach this sort of thing. They teach management in a way that, you know, 500 people arrive at the office at 8.30 in the morning. They're at their desks. They're at the, at the grindstone. Um, you might give them a little break for tea. They can have a wee. They can have some lunch. Uh, they come back uh, and they work till they fall over. They drag themselves out back to however they came on bloodied knuckles and they repeat tomorrow. Um, that's the traditional way of work. Suddenly managers, you know, do they really know how to manage in, in such a flexible environment? Well, look, I think, first of all, MBAs and teaching management and then leadership around how um, how to lead people in diverse circumstances. I think those are all um, related but different things. 
Um, I think what this is doing, it's really forcing people who do have influence, control, and management over the working lives of people that report into them. This is really forcing people to extend everything from their belief systems about people to the actual way in which they work. And when I even say belief systems, if you're running with a belief system that says, most people are going to try and um, shirk work, they're mostly lazy, and they're mostly going to try and take the piss out of every situation, um, then you're going to want desperately need for control measures. If you inherently believe that everybody is going to do their best, really wants to make sure that they can continue to have a job at the end of the month, that they add value, then you're going to have a different belief system and you'll lead differently. But there's certain things that people, that leaders and managers are going to need to implement that are um, different. For example, you might not be used to giving feedback regularly to people. Now, if you've got some a, a team of people who are working remotely on their own and, are, and now don't know whether they're making progress, are they actually doing well, you're going to need to implement a much more structured feedback loop to those people from what you did previously. Um, for people who um, need, who are quite um, diligent, but nevertheless need structure, you're going to need to work with them to help them develop or design some kind of structure that really helps them to be productive. So I think that tools and tips, as well as belief systems that need to be amplified at this time so that we can really have the most productive, optimal work environments. I mean, you mentioned people taking the mickey. MTN South Africa had the opposite problem. I was chatting to Godfrey Mozart, who is the chief executive of MTN South Africa, and he was saying what they noticed was, particularly in the early days of this crisis, that nobody wanted to be seen to be shirking because job security had suddenly evaporated. Nobody knew what the future held. So people were getting to their desks at 7 in the morning and were still there sitting there at 7 at night, uh, being incredibly productive and working incredibly hard, but actually exhausting themselves in the process, thinking, well, I would let usually have left home at seven and got home at seven so i better now spend those hours looking busy um you know because i would have been away from home anyway so this is my new work day and they actually had to start implementing some rules to say guys 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 you're killing yourselves let's not you know let's not um burn ourselves out during during this time and that's the opposite side of that precise problem Correct. Um, I mean, if you think a little back, uh, a couple of years back, when all of a sudden we had this always-on um, work approach because we had our smartphones and now we had email and our, all of our social media channels, and so we needed to start implement um, almost these uh, separation divides between when am I at home and when am I at work. I think this is taking that to the next level. We need separation, both in terms of our physical space, if you have the space at home, as well as um, as making uh, almost like a boundary for yourself as to when you are working and when you are not. And not a lot of people are very good at that. I think there's a lot of um, emotion around wanting to be seen to be at work all the time. Um, and certainly emotional and mental well-being, exhaustion, anxiety, these are the things that are, these are the themes that are arising. And I say this from globally, both what I see happening in the US as well as in South Africa. Leaders need to lead by example with regard to that. If you're expecting your team to be available at 7 p.m., then that's not cool. If you um, if you are sending messages and setting up meetings before you know at, at certain times of day, that's not fine. But 
The other side of that is there are some people who, because of their work situations, it's actually better for them to work from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. Sure. Because then they can get some productive work in before having to deal with homeschooling. So we're needing to be so iterative. We're needing to be so flexible. We're needing to be so resilient. Um, I listened to a, a webinar with uh, Daniel Pink the other day, and he said a couple of things that I, I wanted to that I thought were really great. He said, um, structure is liberating as in do make structure for yourselves as a leader and as, as an individual contributor. And then he emphasized the need for separation, both physical space and time. So um, I think those are, are, are simple but great recommendations. And, and you didn't say worker, staff member, um, wage slave. You used the term contributor. And isn't that the fundamental change that is happening here is that suddenly it's not about the number of hours that you're spending at your desk it is about the contribution that you are making it is about how you are delivering on a task rather than necessarily on a a menial set of processes and procedures that you use to keep yourself occupied so you looked busy at your desk perhaps for 10 hours a day yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I implemented in my team was a, a shift of looking at, I hate the word KPIs, but it's something that everybody knows, um, the KPIs or the outcomes that we may have been able to achieve pre-COVID um, have changed fundamentally. Um, the outcomes, though, in terms of what we should be doing, we need to revisit that. We need to relook at those. We need to understand whether they still make sense and then adjust those for the different working circumstances that we encounter now. To expect same-same is um, is just irresponsible. I think it's unreasonable. Anything that was set at the beginning of the year really needs to be revisited. And ultimately, a focus on, firstly, what is achievable and doable under the circumstances. Some things are going to exceed expectations and others are going to be reduced. And then... Um, what type of activity needs to be done in order to achieve those outcomes? I think those are fundamentally being turned on their heads. Um, and I mean, what's the future of the meeting? Because that has changed considerably as well. So often people would just go from meeting to meeting to meeting, mindlessly ticking a box, signing a register and not necessarily making a contribution. Suddenly it feels in this new world of you're sitting on a screen, you better be paying attention because you don't know when it's going to be flicked to you at any given point. You can't be sort of slinking off in the back corner in the shadows having a bit of a nap um, or, or playing on your phone or whatever the case might be. The nature of meetings seems to be changing as well. Um, firstly, uh, regarding meetings, I think a lot of in a lot of companies they've replaced the face-to-face meeting with the di- with the virtual meeting, the digital um, Zoom call or whatever the other platform you're using. And so there are some people who are sitting on one Zoom call after the other all day long, and that, from an energy point of view, is extremely draining. Um, and so one of the things that I've, you know, that I've, I've always asked for is, do we all need to be in all of these meetings? And so I would encourage leaders to assess whether, first of all, all of those meeting, meetings are needed and whether all of those people are required in, in those meetings. Um, but um, certainly um, with regard to um, uh, being available and being um, in, in the meeting and engaged, uh, there are lots of different kinds of tools that uh, people who've been doing this now for a while are starting to use so that they can keep people engaged. It's really hard to stay engaged in a Zoom call 
where you can't participate and you've just got talk talking heads in front of you hour after hour. So um, that is just, uh, that's a soul-destroying experience. I mean, there's so many fundamental changes that are happening. And I, I mean, I know lots of people are gagging to get back to the office, so desperate to get back to what they regard as normal. And I wonder just how much of a, a shift we, is, are we going to have that is permanent to the way in which we do work. I think that there's going to be much more openness um, and flexibility. I think we've seen what's possible. I think some of us have seen what can be productive and some of us have seen what just doesn't work at all and what is really um, just uh, suboptimal. And so I think there's going to be, certainly when I'm engaging with many of the, the HR directors and CEOs who are really looking at what the future of work might look like, depending on the scenarios, it's a hybrid. It's for some people and for some organizations, certain things are going to be very different. For others, it might go back to something similar to what was. I think it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to see what actually is possible. I think one of the biggest things on many uh, uh, CEOs and uh, CFOs list is the cost of having people in one physical space. And there's the direct cost and then there's the indirect cost. There's the productivity of having people not travel and not sit in traffic. Um, then there is the, um, the actual physical space and what that requires from organizations. Um, I heard yesterday that um, the higher-ups of Apple are just starting to question. I mean, they've got this extraordinary facility that now they're wondering if anybody's ever going to occupy again. So, um, so I think the, the, that uh, physical office space is having an existential crisis, um, but it's once again need to, they're going to need to adapt to the circumstances. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's so interesting that um, yeah, Marissa Mayer came in uh, to Yahoo. Um, and after years of people working at home, she went, no, 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 it's not productive. Um, people get distracted. We don't, you know, it's not collaborative enough. Everybody come back to the office. And they did. And now it's like, oh, what are you all doing here? Go away, get out. Because um, the work, the world of work has become more collaborative over time. Also, how are you expected to progress in an organization when you can't meet at the water cooler to plot somebody's downfall. How do you play office politics in this new normal? I know that you would frown upon it, Debbie, but you know, you know as true, it's as true as the sun will rise tomorrow that half of the fun of going to the office is for the gossip and the collegial relationships and to pull the guy, the person on the rung above you down so that you can, can rise past them. Bruce, you are such a Machiavellian. Um, so, oh, no, I just, um, I just read conspiracy <laughs> theories. I, I would never do that myself, of course. Never, never. I think the camaraderie of being in physical space to, with, with people is a big loss. Um, we just cannot substitute the, the energy and the vibe of being in good, productive physical space with people. The downside, of course, is that um, sometimes it's not always positive. Um, and believe you me, um, the demise and the gossiping can happen just as uh, effectively on social media and WhatsApp groups. So um, if there are people in an organization who have a desire to do that, it will happen regardless of the, regardless of the channel. Um, but I think that the loss really is, and I think certainly what people are going to want to do 
at some point is they are going to want to be in physical space with one another because there is nothing that can take away from the energy, the ad hoc conversations, the ideas and inspiration that just spark, which you just can't have on a, on a, on a digital call. We've all got to sit waiting for our turn, press on and off the mute button, worry whether the dog's barking in the background. It's not spontaneous. It's not a great way to cultivate uh, group creativity. And so, um, and so I think that uh, certainly group um, and in-presence engagement, that's going to be something that will be very highly prized as soon as we can. Of course, our thermometer, our temperatures will need to be checked. We'll have to be wearing gloves and hand sanitizer and all the rest, but who cares? We'll, I certainly, I can't wait for that. <laughs> um, you're a sociable beast, you see, Debbie. You're a sociable being. Um, and then I, I also wonder, I, mean, I think in the short term, it's absolutely fine because you've got people who've worked together in the past. You've got teams that are in place. They know each other well enough. They can collaborate and cooperate digitally for a period of time but invariably people move on teams change some people get retrenched some people resign some die and new people come in and to replace them and suddenly the collegiality that is bred in the space of an office becomes i don't know about impossible but geez like considerably harder to replicate virtually amongst people who six months 12 months down the line actually don't know each other anymore so that's actually a great point. And one of the hardest things that, so our clients have continued to recruit. They've in fact even made appointments um, with people that they haven't met face-to-face. Um, but one of the most challenging things is, uh, is the onboarding process, which typically always happens in person. The best way to build relationships is in person. And so this is a really um, great opportunity for people who are responsible for onboarding and integrating new people into their organizations to completely relook at that. I think it's also an opportunity for companies to look at how, how do they make sure that the culture, the way we do things around here, that that becomes uh, institutionalized in a way, that it becomes documented so that it's something that can be replicable regardless of whether it's remote or in person. Bear in mind, there are multinational organizations where people are appointed who then need to be leading or influencing or working together with others who they've never met and they somehow manage. So it's just about what you've been used to, the way we always used to do things. And right now we've got to completely change the way we always used to do things into something entirely new. It requires some thinking. It requires deliberate intention. It can be done. There are other organizations all over the world doing it. And it requires flexibility and an open mind, but doable. Debbie Goodman, buy it. Thank you very much indeed. Debbie is the leadership strategist, the founder at Jack Hammer. Fascinating insights into the world of work. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield was brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking, bringing you award-winning trade and working capital funding solutions to unlock the full potential of your business story. APSA is a registered FSP.